0: The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice.
1: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure having you here this week. I am joined by my co-host Dave. How's it going, Dave?
2: Hey, good to be here, buddy. Good to be here. Great to see you, man. Great to see you. Uh, uh, Meta- Metallica? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so okay. <laughs> clearly we are not Ryan and Dave. Um, they are vacationing somewhere the in South the... Pacific. They're in the South Pacific, they're in the Isle of They're actually seeing
2: the South Pacific in the South Pacific.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They are they are in the Isle of Alola. They are playing Pokemon Sun and Moon together.
2: You know shit about the South Pacific.
1: Okay. So <laughs> hi and apologies in advance to new listeners. I am Elisa. I'm Evan. And we are musician and pop culture friends of the show. We
2: have taken over the show for this week.
1: We've taken over the show.
2: We're kind of sorry. Sort of. No.
1: So we are going to hopefully shepherd you through uh, the Break the Business podcast in expert-ish form while the boys are away. We have
2: a different perspective on some things, and we hope we can relate that to you. Yeah, so why don't you relate yourselves to Ryan, specifically, at Twitter, at Ryan K-A-I-R.: Yep, and Metal, uh, Metal Dave is at Metal, Metal Dave 85. 85 I don't I just call him Metal Dave. I've not, I'm not going to call That's him his Dave his name.: I That's his legal name.: Yeah that he's is a lawyer legal he legally name. changed his name. Legal also name. Facebook.com/break the business and break the business at gmail.com. Please rate review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, specifically, get in touch with us. I am at the Big Tasty on Twitter.
1: And I am at Elisa Rockdoc. That's E-L-I-S-A-R-O-C-K-D-O-C.
2: Also, you can catch us at twitch.tv slash ElisaRockDoc. Rock Doc. Which, if you don't know what that is, you should stick around for the next segment.
1: Yes. So, after we do our little happy fun discussion, on the next segment... Entertainment lawyer Cassandra Spangler stops by to chat with Ryan about what sort of legal services DIY musicians should seek to move their careers forward. Uh, she's cool. She's a New York based attorney who represents hip hop artists and producers, but she also happens to be an adjunct professor of business law at the Parsons School of Design at the new school. That, so that that's sounds really cool.
2: Super <laughs> informative. Actually, the best teachers, the best music teachers I ever had were like also lawyers.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Because they've had to deal with all the stuff.
2: Some of the worst musicians I know are lawyers.
1: <sighs> Dig. Wow. Anyway,
2: so the thing we wanted to talk about <laughs> is uh, we're also, in addition to being musicians, lifelong musicians, we're also gamers. Yes. Um, and some of this is, if, if you're a gamer, you might be familiar with a, a service called Twitch. And if that's the case, then maybe this isn't news to you. But musicians, DIY musicians, there is a a delivery service that you are missing out on that has some very distinct advantages. Um, twitch.tv was created for people to stream video games um, so other people could watch them play video games.
1: And people do that in droves. Um, I think earlier today, because my job um, in the game industry currently involves watching a lot of Twitch. In fact, I am a new media manager at a studio, and so it is looking at Twitch and YouTube and all of these cool, awesome new ways of engaging with games nowadays, and today I was watching, and even even kind of things that aren't necessarily traditionally video games, there was a chess battle between grandmasters that had over 6000 people in the same room watching this chess grandmaster like championship it was ridiculous
2: so that's cool it's it's still a game so like i see how twitch has slowly branched out to like oh board games and stuff which kind of makes sense it's still on brand for them but they're also opening themselves up to like all other manner of media yes like we spent the last hour watching um what's that guy's justin name justin warner justin warner is a chef
1: Justin Warner is a chef. So, first, to back up, um, Twitch.tv has notoriously been about games, expanded to tabletop. They have a section of the site called Creative. And in the Creative section, you have things like painting, you have folks that uh, create jewelry, Um in fact, there is even uh, a channel that's kind of dedicated to Bob Ross and painting along with Bob Ross. You can Ross, just get which your is, Bob Ross
2: on anytime.
1: It's fantastic. People that create cosplay outfits. Um, more importantly, uh, kind of in the spirit of having Bob Ross involved with Twitch, they recently created a food channel where they would show, right now, if you go on Twitch.tv and you try to go for food. They have all of these awesome old cooking shows that are just kind of running on a loop. And you too, if you want, can have a cooking show and and have a cooking show on Twitch.
2: But you don't just have to do you don't just have to have a cooking show now. No. Like you can just go and perform.
1: Yes. And so one of those creative things is the performance of music is now allowed as a thing you can do on Twitch.
2: Um I should I should specify that I've, we, you can go on Twitch right now and see a bunch of people um, doing their original music. You can also go on Twitch right now and see a bunch of people doing covers, which Ryan, as a lawyer, should probably mention next episode. That I'm sure that's pretty illegal.
1: In fact, that is actually I have the I have the um the kind of Twitch music FAQ. Okay,
2: that's a good thing. Open to
1: have. right now, um, because I'm sure that over the course of the show, I I I've listened to previous episodes of the break the business podcast and I know that the boys talk about doing things you know kind of upping your social media game and doing stuff on YouTube and kind of creating stuff you know there's a couple of episodes back where they talked about how to perform covers legally for YouTube oh, right? that's a
2: great service too
1: that is a great service we the hits that's awesome we're actually gonna probably look into it for yep. some of our own stuff um but This is kind of an interesting thing because you can actually do this live, but from the comfort of your own home. Um, There are rules associated with that, of course, as with any other live performance. Um, And if you like to create original music, can you broadcast yourself doing that? Yes, you can. Absolutely. if you like to sing your original songs, can you broadcast on Twitch?
2: Absolutely. Yes,
1: you can. Um, I love singing covers. That's okay? No. no. <laughs> Unless you have the necessary rights from the copyright holder to do so. Um, I don't know. That's actually a good question. I don't know if We The Hits um, has, if it's only for YouTube or if it could necessarily work for stuff like twitch that could be interesting
2: hey ryan lawyer why don't you get in touch with we the hits and see if they would do live streaming services as well because that would be super super swanky um the other great things about because right now like you can live stream yourself over facebook yeah and that's okay
1: that is okay um
2: i always i always see people doing it directly from their phone which is obviously the most convenient way to do it um can you do that from the desktop app um, I don't know, but the,
1: I think, I think you can use can, um, like conventional, like quote unquote game streaming software
2: to Facebook stream,
1: to, to stream directly to Facebook.
2: Okay. Well, the the stuff that we really like about Twitch is they have a bunch of like moderation tools because there is a chat that's happening live, just like on Facebook. The moderation tools are like super effective, yeah, um, which is really important, especially with some of the gaming community yeah (laughs) Uh, um but there's a bunch they've been doing it for so long they have all these like tools built in and really easy ways for you to collect donations and get tips and and there's this like huge huge market of things that help your twitch stream really stand out i think better than any live facebook stream i've ever seen
1: yeah these aren't necessarily kind of like twitch kind of specific things it's a lot of kind of third party stuff
2: but they're integrated to twitch yeah so well
1: yes it's integrated very very well and the cool thing is is that if you're a DIY musician like we are absolutely um we have a stream every monday night where we happen to play a video game that involves music we play a music game called rocksmith um but as part of that sometimes we perform our own original music and the cool thing is is yeah we broadcast the game but you could very easily just use the same exact tools that involve hey you have a microphone cool Plug that in. Hey, you have, you know, you can even just use the webcam. Basically, all you really need is a relatively powerful enough laptop or computer, a camera. And if you have a decent enough laptop, you can just use the, you can, just starting off, you can use the webcam that you have. And decent internet. And the streaming software that we use to broadcast to Twitch is totally free. So it's a low cost solution to be able to broadcast you playing your original music.
2: Yeah, I, I think that th- I think the real value here, especially, you know, if if you're 35 or younger, like you might identify with gamers, mm-hmm. or if you are a gamer, or you are a geek in any fashion, like this feels like a per- like a place where geeks of all <laughs> shapes and, and sizes they kind of congregate on this service. So when when we watch people on Twitch. Like, you c- you can see exactly who that person is, right? Yeah. It's not some, like, polished, perfect thing that's, like, you know, CNN or something. It's just, like, somebody in their living room, and you can associate with that person. Like, we are watching Justin Warner, the chef, and he's got Pokemon shit all over his kitchen. Yeah. And it's amazing. So, like, he, he associates with that community. He's doing something creative that isn't directly associated to gaming. But he's into that. Chats into that. Chats into him. He's into cooking. Now Chats into cooking. Like right. It ties everything and everybody together. And this is a very large demographic. Yeah. <laughs> so for people under 40, I guess, um, that, that I feel like needs to be tapped more. Because there, there, is, there is a lot of music on Twitch, but there isn't nearly enough music on Twitch.
1: Right. And I, I don't think that there are enough people that kind of avail themselves of the creative tag. Case in point, we're watching... This cooking show. Now, Justin Warner is a chef who won, you know, Food Network Star. So, at least, you know, for us kind of foodie brains, we're like, oh, man, this dude's kind of a big deal. But to a lot of people that generally watch Twitch, he's just some dude cooking in a kitchen. And they're kind of like, why is this person on Twitch? I thought this site was a place to play video games.
2: But they stick around.
1: But they stick around. And they're like, whoa, I thought this is going to be really dumb, but this is actually really, really cool. So I think that there is s- still room to get in. I wouldn't say on the ground floor. Uh, I, thi- I think that the kind of creative and like music performance thing is maybe a couple of years old already. But, but it still
2: isn't overutilized.
1: It still isn't overutilized. And I would highly recommend, you know, creating a channel on Twitch and, you know, it's, it's all completely free. Uh, eventually, you know, go into other people's streams and see what they're doing. It's really relatively easy to use a lot of the streaming software. You can, you know, we, we don't use a lot of fancy stuff. Mostly what we use is we just have a little square on the bottom of our screen that has our Twitter, like Twitter handles on it. Um, You can kind of spruce up your profile page so you can have links directly to wherever your music actually lives online. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to pick up. And I think there's something to the idea of having that live experience. Of course, keep doing stuff on YouTube. And then the cool thing is about Twitch is that once you're done, you can download your videos, and then you can also post that on your YouTube page.
2: And YouTube's really cool because I like the the you know the permanence of it; it's there forever, and it's and it's easy, and it's free to get to, it and all yeah. this stuff. But there's something super amazing about seeing something happen live. You yes, know? I think that's the real value in this.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree, and it's th- think about this: you're hustling, you're trying to get gigs right? It's entirely possible. And we've experienced this all the time. I've experienced it a whole bunch of times where I'll be trying to get gigs and I don't have any coming up and I have writer's block and, uh, well, it's kind of running dry. But the cool thing is, is that I could just go on Twitch and that's a gig and you can, you can, break out any cobwebs. You can test out new material before you take it to the club or something. You can songwrite in real time. In fact, this isn't necessarily music, but um a a game journalist that I highly respect actually uses the Twitch creative section to write his reviews and you can watch him write a game review and edit it and cobble it together in real time. So, if anything, that's a really cool way to see other people's process, even. Oh, wow. Cool, huh?
2: <laughs> I wonder if that breaks his uh, his review embargo by showing the... <laughs> that's, a <laughs> that's a different... Qu- hey, Ryan, hmm. lawyer!
1: <laughs> I wonder if that's breaking embargo. Well, probably not. Um, because I think this particular review... Was late because it whatever game <laughs> journalism drama people is a thing that exists, but I highly recommend doing this twitch thing because l- like a lot of people are doing it, but not so many people are doing it. Um, don't get discouraged if you don't see a lot of people come to you right away. I think the same rules that apply to all other social media or YouTube presence apply here, kind of develop a schedule
2: consistency
1: be consistent you can you can actually just put your put your schedule there on your profile and say hey you know from 6 to 7 p.m i'm just gonna be songwriting or playing my own stuff and here's a link to where you can go grab it if you're into it it might actually even be cool because you mentioned that there's a sort of like venn diagram of like everybody's a gamer now personally right i think so if you 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 right there Jane, John, Q, listener, um, have played a game on your phone in the last 24 hours. I personally consider you a gamer. Sure. Everybody has a gaming device in their pocket, right? So I think everybody's a gamer, and I think it's it might even be a really cool idea to use your channel to not only play your music, but if you happen to be a gamer, showcase that part of yourself as well, and it's kind of like a whole kind of complete package that come you come for the do. game
2: stay for the personality
1: right right and i stay think it's just good it's good practice too just in general for 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 being a personality which is for better or worse, a, a huge part of being a musician. Yeah,
2: yeah. well, it's good <laughs> to, to show that you're a human being. Like, the the problem I have with pop stars... Here we go. ...is there like... Well, no, it's, it's not a bad thing, but you see them on television, you see them in the magazine, There's these two-dimensional people that their publicist shows you exactly what they want you to see, and then that's exactly who they are. You'll never know anything outside of that. Certain people are, like, way more open on Twitter, and yeah. you can tell that it's actually them tweeting, right? Um, but a lot of, like, super famous pop stars are just... They're they're not necessarily themselves. They're just exactly what you know. Public now, if you put somebody like super famous live on Twitch or something, he's going to get a jillion views and he's going to make a ton of money just through ad revenue. But you can actually see who that person is and see who that thought process, and it's really endearing to new fans. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you'll never get through YouTube because you're not seeing it live. Yeah, and you're not able to chat with them, and and, you know.
1: Yeah, and and granted, you know, you have YouTube comments. You can stream through youtube nowadays but i think twitch is kind of cool in that sense
2: twitch is easier and better
1: twitch is twitch is a lot easier the kind of third party integrations that you could do um there are there are bots that you can attach to your channel so that in the little chat room that you have every five minutes it can post a link to your soundcloud website so that people can find your music Every so often, you know, if, you know, you can have them issue a command uh, so that they can learn more about you and have like a quick bio pop up if they want to know more about you. Um, you can set up donations uh, via PayPal, uh, via tip jar. Um, some people call them donations. Some people call them tips. It's kind of what you feel comfortable with. I tend to call them tips because I feel like donations makes it feel more charity-y. And, like, I'm expected to kind of deliver a particular product where I was like, hey, you know what? You throw me a tip. It's like any tip that I would get at a bar. Mm-hmm. I'm probably never going to see this person again. But there's like, hey, I like what you do. Here's a book. Nice. You know? And you can set all that stuff up. And it's relatively easy. There's all sorts of YouTube videos that show off how to set this stuff up. But I think at the very least, it's a really cool way. For you to practice um, practice your kind of authentic but also stage self and kind of work through that um, in a in a cool way it's It's kind of the perfect hybrid of having the the comforts of home um, but also the pressure of having a gig in a sense because you are live so it's that perfect kind of hybrid of i'm live i'm performing right now but
2: it's on my own terms
1: it's on my own terms i can do this when i want when i feel inspired i can stop it when i want um so yeah i don't know it's it's a really cool way to express yourself
2: the other real upside that i like is you know if You're a new band and you're hustling to get gigs and you got a really good product, but it's hard to get out there in front of the people like you need to go to your local bars and develop your local scene and have have the people around you like you and hopefully sell them some T-shirts and stuff, which you can do, obviously, online. But um, the potential, like if you do really well and you pack this bar and you get 100 people in there, you did a good job. How many people can you pack into a Twitch chat room? How many computers are there in the world? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the sky's the limit. Yeah. At that point, if you're making, like, enough money... I've seen money upwards
1: of... I mean, you know, and obviously this is for, like, huge games like League of Legends and stuff, but, you know, there's upwards of tens of thousands of people Hundreds that could be watching something people. at once.
2: Yeah, so I don't care how big that bar is, you can get a larger audience yeah. online, especially the new generation. Yeah, especially that's true. Especially people that, you know, would happily sit through a 60-second commercial before the stream actually starts, but can't really shell out $35 for a concert ticket.
1: That's also an excellent point. So
2: you could supplement your tour through online shows.
1: Yep. Twitch has mobile integration. Like it's very, very easy for people to be able to watch you on the go, which is great.
2: This is almost too much of a PSA. I feel like we're just pushing Twitch. But I know. we I really like the service, so I, I, I'm not I, feeling bad about I, it.
1: I really dig it because and I and I just really like you know, I'm a huge gamer and I love watching people play games. I think some of the coolest stuff that people do. Is on the creative channel because I think there's still that level of experimentation there still going on like oh wow I can paint something and people will watch me paint something or um, I watched somebody create cosplay or crochet something and that's something that you can do and support Um, so that's that's really cool. Um, you know, if you, if you have any questions for us on how to use Twitch and how we use Twitch, (laughs) definitely let us know and hit us up. Like and subscribe
2: twitch.tv slash Elisa rock doc.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much. And as a side note, because of course, one of the big things about the DIY musician is at some point you're going to have to make some money, right? So if you can kind of apply those same, you know, however many episodes of this podcast there have been so many, so many. If you can apply all of Ryan and Dave's tips...
2: Mainly Ryan. <laughs> on that Dave. hustle. Kidding, kidding.
1: If you can apply all of their tips on that hustle and apply it to Twitch, um, if you have, say, like 500 people in a chat room on a consistent average basis, then you can unlock things like... Uh, having people subscribe to your channel on a monthly basis oh you know somebody can pay five bucks a month it's almost like the equivalent of like a patreon or something um you can also get a share of the ad revenue for ads that play before um you can also give specific subscriber perks to folks that subscribe to you sort of like patreon but even without that you can still have the option to take donations via paypal so i think it's it's a really cool and interesting way, and if for whatever reason you're not entirely comfortable with it or whatever, it's it's almost like all the more reason to give it a shot.
2: Yeah, totally. And I honestly, I've I've watched streams where people just keep throwing money, you know, yeah. th- throwing money at the host, and y- whether they have money to throw or not, the people are throwing money at the host where those same people might be too uncomfortable to come up to you at a gig and like, hey man, you're really great, here's a couple bucks, or let me buy your CD, like Pe- and who carries
1: cash anymore for that anyway? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> well, make sure you get the square thing and uh, or get. Yeah, right.
1: Mo-
2: <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> okay, okay. Th- this segment has gone on long enough. Uh, please stick around. Next segment, we have Ryan talking to Cassandra Spangler. It's going to be fantastic. Don't go nowhere.
0: Be right back. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless Plug Time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and in Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and in achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. We'll Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. She is a New York-based entertainment attorney who represents a diverse stable of music clients, including hip-hop artists, producers, record labels, publishing companies, artist managers, and more. She is an adjunct professor of business law at the Parsons School of Design at the New School and was rated one of the top ten music follows on Twitter by the DIY musician. You can check her out at C-SPAN Music Law on Twitter and at her website, cspanglermusiclaw.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Cassandra Spangler, is on the Break the Business podcast. Cassandra, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Sure, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, this is going to be great. Uh, I've not had the pleasure of meeting you personally, but from what I can just see on Twitter, you strike me as something that many—that very few lawyers are, including my, uh, my, myself, also not a part of this uh, particular group. You seem really cool. I mean, a lawyer yeah. and you play the drums like you've, you've somehow managed to find the cool loophole in a profession that's full with many uncool people.
3: I <laughs> think, yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs> um, so, I mean, what, I, I mean, it, it warrants asking what got a, you know, cool person like you who plays the drums and, you know, has a, you know, ha- has cool style and everything. What got you interested in the legal side of the music business? Can you tell us a bit about the journey you took to get where you are today?
3: Sure, yeah. It actually, it all started with the drums. Um, So I started playing drums about 20 years ago, and I just knew that I wanted to do something with music um, for a living. But I never, as much as I loved playing, I I just really didn't want to be a professional musician. Um, So my next thought, you know, in high school and then in college was that I wanted to start a record label. Um, But around that same time is when Napster happened and, you know, the whole music industry business model kind of crumbled and was getting rebuilt and still to this day is to some extent getting rebuilt. Um, But I think one of the fallouts from that was that record labels took on a very different role than they had previously had within the industry. Um, So I started thinking, you know, what what other aspect of the industry is there and is going to stay there. Um, and that's what led me into the legal side of it, you know, because with labels decreasing in importance and playing a lesser role and artists taking on so much more of it themselves, you know, I figured that they would need attorneys um, now more than ever. Um, so that's kind of what I did, and, and that's what I've been doing since.
0: Wow, your journey into the legal profession and on the music side of the legal profession just really mirrors mine. Like I I I tell people the same story. I and you know, I I I had I wanted to be a record executive until, you know, I saw what the record industry was becoming. And eventually when I saw what the record industry was sort of doing to creators and uh, you know, yeah. got, got me on the side of the artist, much like you are. Um, and which is, you know, it, it it's always good to have another great advocate for creators out there. And uh, you certainly do a lot to help out creators, and one thing that I thought was interesting was your Twitter bio. Actually, says that you listen to every demo and mixtape that's sent to you. Is that really true? <laughs> that's that seems crazy.
3: It is, although I, I think the caveat that I would add there is that I don't necessarily listen to the whole thing. So it kind of it has to draw me in. You know, I always tell people when you're sending stuff out, whether it's to me or to anyone else you have to draw the listener in within, I would say the first, you know, 10, 15 seconds, um, because if they hear it and they're not impressed or they're not interested, they're just going to shut it off. Um, so, you know, I do listen. Um, if I make it past the first 15 seconds, then usually I'll keep listening. Um, but that's one piece of advice that I always give people. And I think one important thing to do is to make sure that the production quality of what you're sending out, um, is good and, and is professional. And nowadays, you know, you can do so much of it um, with home equipment. So it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It's just a matter of making sure that you know or that you hire someone who knows how to do the production side of it and making sure that what you're sending out is really professional and really good quality so that when you do have someone listening to it, um, you can kind of reel them in and they they'll listen to the whole thing that you sent and then hopefully want to hear more.
0: Oh, yeah. There's something to be said for making the choice easy for the people, making things easy for the people who are in a position to help you move your career forward. Uh, you know, don't make them work too hard. You know, give them a nice, solid quality recording. And I think that's just as true on the creative side as it is on the business side. On this show, we often talk about how important it is for indie artists to get their legal house in order to set themselves up for success, get all their business affairs, legal affairs in order. And so put yourself in the shoes of a, uh, a musician who's earning some money and has created a, you know, has a catalog of music for themselves. What are some of the legal services that they should look into getting?
3: Sure. Yeah. One thing I always recommend um, for any artist that is looking to do it as a business is that they set up an LLC or a corporation um, as one of the first steps because, Um, Well, for a few reasons. One, you know, it gives them that limited liability so that if for any reason they do get sued, you know, as long as they're keeping everything separate the way that they should, um, their personal assets will be protected, which is also important, you know, if it's an artist who has a day job in a different field, you want to make sure that those assets are kept separate. Um, So starting an LLC or a corporation, that's always something I recommend. Along with that, you know, registering all of your copyrights. And registering your trademarks. You know, nowadays, so much of it is about branding. um, And it's almost, you know, more important that the artist be a brand even than the music that they're putting out. And so you don't want to put all of this time and money and effort into building your brand only to find out that someone else is using the same name or someone else is trying to capitalize off of the brand that you've spent all this time and money building. Um, So registering your trademark can help you to do that. Um, Also registering with ASCAP or BMI or CSAC and also registering with sound exchange, um, because that can be a good source of passive income. If you're an artist or if you're a songwriter, um, you know, once the song is done and it's released, if it's getting played, if it's getting streamed, you know, you'll be getting those royalties could be for years into the future. Uh, But if you don't register, you know, that money is just sitting there and, It's not going to be collected. Um, And then, you know, one of the most important things is making sure that all of your contracts are in order. So anyone that you're working with, um, whether it's another artist, whether it's a producer, an engineer, or even, you know, someone who's designing a logo for you, someone who's um, doing videography for you, making sure that you have contracts with everyone um, so that it's clear who owns what. And what income is going to who, what percentage is going to who, and um, just making sure that all of that's in place, really, even before things are being released.
0: Of course. And so now, put it on the other side now. For the artist who doesn't have their legal house in order um, and leaves themselves vulnerable to uh, pitfalls, um, can you identify some of the legal pitfalls that you have seen musicians fall into before?
3: Sure. Yeah, I think I think um, going back to the contract issue, that's one of the biggest things um, that I've seen. You know, people are maybe working with producers or working with other artists, and they don't put things in writing. And the excuses, you know, it's my friend. This is a person that I grew up living next door to. We don't need to have it in writing. And you know, I always tell people, everything's friendly now, but if something becomes a hit and suddenly there's a lot of money on the table that can change very quickly. Um, And uh, often, you know, if you're collaborating with someone, if you don't put it in writing, then it's kind of by default 50-50. And it might be someone who played a small role or there was some kind of verbal understanding that they would only be getting a small piece of it. But if you don't have that in writing, these people might come back later on and, you know, try to take more than what you had agreed to give them. Um, And it's always easier to get things in writing and get things signed, I've found, ahead of time. You know, if something's done and it's ready to go, and then you have to go track down people to get signatures and things, that's always more difficult. So, you know, a lot of artists fall into that trap of not having all the contracts that they need. Um, And something that I've seen, you know, in particular with hip-hop is you have a lot of producers who are selling or leasing beats online, which is great, you know, they set up their own website or they use a third-party website, but they don't, the terms aren't clear. So you might have an artist who says, well, I have an exclusive license to this seat, um, and you have to ask them, well, what exactly were the terms? Um, Because a lot of producers aren't taking the time to hire an attorney to draft the terms for them, and so they're just cutting and pasting from other people's websites, and a lot of times there's holes in there or things aren't what they were intended to be. Um, so I would say on, you know, in that situation, both from the producer's perspective, you know, take the time to hire an attorney to make the terms of your website for the different licenses that you're offering. And if you're an artist who's purchasing beats online, make sure that you, you know, that the terms are very clear and that you're both on the same page about what the scope of the license is.
0: Yeah. I particularly enjoyed hearing the. The word that you use with respect to having contracts up front, which is it makes things easier, which is always the opposite of what people will always say for the reasons why they don't want to get into a contract. Oh, why do we want to? Why do we want to have a contract? It's just going to make things complicated. And what you've identified is that, no, it's just the opposite. Contracts make things easier. It gives everybody the set of rules by which the game is going to be played. And so you know, nobody's going to go into it thinking it's going to go differently. And, you know, everybody will have the same understanding of how things work. Um, I think, I think that, that nails it. And so you have talked about the importance of finding an entertainment lawyer to help you put, you know, put these things together to help you get the right terms and conditions for your, for your beats on your website or, you know, you know, getting a good contract together or helping you get uh, trademarks registered. What tips can you offer on helping an artist find a good entertainment lawyer, uh, what sort of background should they look for and what questions should they be asking a a lawyer who purports to be an entertainment lawyer to make sure it's the right person for them?
3: Yeah, I would say, you know, make sure that your vision is kind of on the same page. Um, I mean, I always ask clients, you know, what their vision is for their music and then whatever that might be, I'll do what I can to try to help them get there. But, you know, that being said, there's, you know, everyone has sort of their own approach to it and so there's some people, um, like myself and it sounds like you as well, who kind of advocate for artists trying to stay independent um where they can and to try to keep control of things and, you know, make sure that the money's coming into them rather than most of it going to a label. Um but then there's other attorneys who have other views on that and you know, kind of out there trying to get the best deal, the most money up front that they can. And so I think as an artist, you need to be honest with yourself about what you're looking for and, you know, whether you do just want that big check up front or whether you want to put the time into trying to do it yourself and keeping more control that way. And then trying to find an attorney who's really on the same page with you and support whichever path it is that you are going to take. Um, and I think it always helps to kind of make sure that their the attorney's heart is in the right place, and that you know they're doing this because they love music, rather than because they love celebrity or because they you know they're looking for financial reasons. Um,
0: so you really so think a are, love of music specifically matters to you?
3: I personally think it does, um, and I think that carries over to whatever industry it might be. You know, if you're an athlete and you're looking for a sports attorney, you want to make sure that's somebody who really loves. Or, um, you know, because I think at the end of the day, you're going to get more passion and more attention from that person if they really love the subject matter that they're dealing with.
0: And Oh, it makes perfect sense. And for the artists who want to learn more just about, you know, music and the law, you know, kind of make themselves better versed in all of this so that they can be informed when they talk to an attorney or just when they're out in the world doing business— are there any resources you can recommend for musicians to learn more about the legal issues affecting their industry?
3: Sure. Yeah. I always recommend, um, every artist to purchase Passman's book, everything you need to know about the music industry. Um, I love it. I, yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's like the Bible. I just recently myself bought the most recent version cause I realized mine was terribly out of date. Um, but you know, he is good about updating it, uh, because things change so quickly. But it really you know covers just about everything and it puts it in terms that are easy to understand and easy to read. Um, so I always recommend that. And then you know as far as keeping current on things that are going on, legal issues that are going on, um, billboard. biz is a great site, also the Hollywood reporter esq blog. Um, you know, if you want to keep up on, legal developments or lawsuits that are happening that might affect, you know, the law that applies to whatever you're doing. Um, so those are some resources, you know, that I always recommend artists check out.
0: All great resources. Uh, they're all, they're, they're all, uh, you know, bookmarks on, uh, on my own, uh, uh computer. Uh, uh, you know, Eric Gardner is, uh, he's a, he's a regular read for me on thresq. Uh, are there any uh, final tips? And it doesn't even have to be in the legal world because I know that you, know, you've, you've, you must have so much experience just in all facets of the music industry. Are there any other tips that you'd wish to impart on the musician listeners out there to just help them move their careers forward?
3: Yeah, I would say you know, make sure you establish a good team. Um, and I think you know, the members on the team, you need a good manager, a good attorney, um, a good publicist. Um, maybe an agent, depending what level you're at, Um, and then also either a business manager or an accountant. Um, And I think, you know, you shouldn't focus on any one player on the team over the others because, you know, you can put all of the time and money into doing the contracts, but if you don't have a good PR person to help you promote the project, um, you know, and and vice versa. Um, So, you know, especially nowadays, If you are doing it yourself and you are releasing it yourself, a lot of these roles, record labels used to do for you to a large extent. Um, And so now it's important to, you know, focus on those yourself and to make sure that the people you're hiring to do it for you, again, have the same vision and also are people that you can trust um, and people that are going to be, you know, working hard and, and are on the same page as you.
0: Right on. The the notion of the DIY musician is very much a misleading moniker, isn't it?
3: It is. Yeah, because really you take on business roles and you take on legal roles and, you know, at least overseeing um, each of those departments in your own kind of career, so to speak.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, it's less uh, doing it yourself and more of just being at the top of the pyramid and, you know, commanding others to help you move uh, move your career forward. Uh, for those who want to keep the conversation going with you, Cassandra, um, how can people find out more about you? Uh, social media, websites, anything we haven't mentioned?
3: Um, so my website, again, you mentioned at the beginning, but it's cspanglermusiclaw.com. Um, all my contact info is on there. I'm on Twitter, C-SPAN Music Law, um, and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash music attorney. So, um, man, you, know, you,
0: you got the, you, 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 you uh, you reserved music attorney. That was pretty solid.
3: Yeah. It was available when I got it.
0: <laughs> nice um that's great uh counselor it has been a pleasure thank you so much for joining us i uh, would love to have you on again real soon
3: thanks for having me
0: all right we'll be right back on the break the business podcast friend of the show john ratzenberger here with ryan carella author of break the business declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry available on amazon.com ryan tell the folks a little bit about the book well the book's about empowering well artists. that's fascinating ryan but it's only a 15 second commercial thanks
2: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thank you to Cassandra Spangler for stopping by. Uh, you can find out more about her by visiting her website, cspanglermusiclaw.com, and follow her on Twitter, at cspanmusiclaw.
1: All right. So now, what is this, the C block? I the don't know, whatever, whatever
2: Metal Dave calls it, that's the what a it is. The A
1: block? I say it's the A block. And
2: we already did the this A block. It's the
1: a, a for effort.
2: That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate. All right, so we spent a lot of time talking about the... Um,
1: the gaming the landscape. Well, the
2: the bubbles that we live in of music and gaming. Yes, and that, it kind of where Venn those. Venn
1: diagram that's a circle.
2: And where those interact. So we're just gonna skip one of those and talk right about gaming. Because well, we
1: could talk a little bit about music during it, but not much. Not
2: much because something magical happened
1: last week. Yeah, last week, and it kind of continues to happen in very small drips. It's pretty th- small. Too. Very small drips, um, and that is the release. Of little something, like literally little something, called the NES Classic.
2: So Nintendo put out a new old console.
1: A new old console. It is the size of like the palm of it's it could fit in the palm of your hand. And it looks exactly like a Nintendo Entertainment System, also known as the NES from like 1985. Looks yeah. exactly like it, but in like a shrink eating style. It's super small. And it packs 30 games. It comes with a, with a controller, like the exact same controller. If you had an NES back in the day and you are feeling all of the nostalgia, this is the new hotness this year in terms of presents. Oh.
2: So I'm, I'm tempted. Go on. Because, okay, so we still own our original NES. I'm looking at it right now.
1: And looking but at all the games we got. W- we
2: have a lot of the games. You have more more games than I do, obviously. But oh um, yeah. uh, th- that thing sitting in our entertainment center is just as finicky as a 30-year-old console should be.
1: Right. Right. You have so to kind of like blow into the cartridges. And you tug on and it and you and get
2: your, you know, you get your girl your encyclopedia CD and wedge it against the top of the thing. And you can't use any other disc because that was oh. the perfect. Pack. Like there's a you hundred different You have to make ways. sure
1: that like the moon phase is just right. Before you turn it on, and you don't
2: kick it, but you kick the Xbox next to it, and like it all turns on because it's like, yeah, kick that Xbox, and I work.
1: Yeah. If you if you just kind of breathe wrong,
2: the real reason that I like this new smaller one is it's HDMI out to your oh, giant well, TV, well, yeah, which true. does present a problem for games like Punch Out. How so? Because there is a certain amount of latency converting this signal to a digital signal to the television.
1: Look at you, fancy.
2: Well, it's an issue because of. Games like beating uh, Mike Tyson in Super Punch Out, I forget what they actually call him.
1: Oh oh what was his name? He's Mike Mr Tyson. Uh, Mr. Dream, Mr. Dream, I think thank you. because um, licensing.
2: It it's 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 you have to be pretty pixel fucking perfect on it. Oh, I just ruined your well, Ryan, you're explicit again. Um you have to be pretty <laughs> pixel perfect. To, like, really get them. So it's hard to do on a TV with any kind of latency. So that's the only real complaint that I've seen about this. But the fact that it's super small, the fact that th- there's nostalgia built into it, the fact that it comes with 30 games. I know they're Nintendo games. A lot of them are 25 years old. But for $2 a piece.
1: It's, yeah, it's, it's 60 pretty, bucks. It's a pretty
2: good bargain. 60 bucks
1: is the price for a major you know, quote-unquote triple-A major blockbuster game nowadays, you pay 60 bucks and you get to relive, you know, what a lot of people would consider their childhoods. Yeah. For 60 And bucks. E-
2: even, for, even for younger folks that want to see, like, the evolution of where we've come from, like, wow, this controller has a D-pad and two buttons. Yeah. Hell
1: yes. You know what I'm seeing? A lot of parents wanting to buy this system, parents that grew up on this, and say, yeah, my kid... You know, like a lot of kids nowadays are kind of growing up with like an iPad in their hands. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, they're like, in terms of console gaming and PC gaming, they're saying, I want to start them out the same way that I started out Uh, so that they can see the evolution. And as they grow up. You know the games that they play can grow up with them because all these games are innocuous as hell.
2: It's kind of like not wanting to watch Deep Space 9 without seeing TOS, huh? What? I don't know. I, I don't even like TOS. I just wanted to make I was a Star Trek like reference. you've <laughs>
1: seen neither of those. <laughs> you've seen neither I, of those. That's
2: you true cuz all you cuz all you TNG. need is the next generation, am I right, Ryan? That's right.
1: Uh, so anyway, some of you may ask well, shoot, what kind of games come in this thing anyway?
2: Lay it on me. Let me lay it All on because right, so I had a lot of games. For and, uh, and now
1: here's the sort of like complaint, not really complaint, but sort of a complaint, right? One of the cool things about having this thing is like, okay, it's this little tiny thing. It's great for travel, right? Because you could just oh, take yeah. it with you in a suitcase. It's great, right? You have 30 games on it. There's no like storage situation where you can put... More games no, on it. I'm not entirely sure it connects to the internet or anything. No,
2: there's no internet connection. This is a very self contained system. It has 30 games, and that is all it will ever have on it.
1: Right. Until Ours they the come money. out
2: with the baby SNES where it has oh. 30 SNES games. I'm telling you, they're going to start doing this for every console they ever made. and, and They're going to make a fortune on every
1: man, one of them. Uh, take all of my money. See? But then, of course, the complaint is well, we have an actual NES. We have some of the games that are on this list, but we have games that we love that aren't on this list. Okay. Um, so let's go to the list.
2: Run down the list, and then you're going to tell me what you're missing.
1: Okay. Uh, balloon Fight.
2: Okay. I had that for sure. That was fun.
1: Castlevania.
2: I never played Castlevania, but I know it's super, super popular.
1: That's the jam, though. Yeah. Donkey Kong.
2: I love Donkey Kong.
1: Double Dragon Two: The Revenge.
2: Sure, why not killing people or hitting people in the streets? I'm down.
1: My mom was super pro at Doctor Mario. Super pro, MLG, super pro, pro strats, pro strats. Um, Excite Bike. No, I don't know. I never played it. Okay, Galaga. Absolutely, that's the jam right there. I had
2: Galaga on Atari though. That's cool. Yeah. But it was. I, I, it's it's good to see that it came to this. Hi, concept. I'm
1: Evan. I'm way more retro. Well,
2: I don't own an Atari anymore, so it's kind of <laughs> nice to see it in some other format. I'm sure you could play Galaga. I'm sure there's a Galaga app. Never mind.
1: If there is a CD bar within a ten mile radius, you can play. Galaga. You can play Galaga. <laughs> Ghosts and goblins. Okay. Uh, Gradius, Ice Climber, no Kirby's Adventure. Everybody loves Kirby. The Legend of Zelda, like duh. Okay, OG. OG. The original Mario Brothers, not Super Mario Brothers, but the one where it's like this, like side-scrolling situation. Yeah, that one. Mega Man Two, sure. Metroid, yeah. Ninja Gaiden. Oh,
2: that was hard.
1: That was hard, but it was good. Regular Pac Man. All right.
2: Sure. I had it on Atari.
1: Super C. I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Nope. The trilogy: Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers Two, which is kind of cool. That was that they included that one. I
2: love Super Mario Two.
1: Good for you. I'm the
2: only one.
1: Hell yeah, no nah, man. That's of
2: all good. the like the first of all the Mario games, I've beaten that one the most, easily ten times.
1: That's legit.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and Super Mario Brothers Three, and then of course the bane of my brother's existence: uh, Zelda Two, The Adventure of Link. Although. I will highly recommend Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link because of the soundtrack. Ooh. I think it was one of my first introductions. Tying it, back into, mm-hmm. tying it
2: back into music, huh?
1: Well, yeah, tying it back into music. That was one of, I think, my first introductions to, like, Reharm,
2: I Okay, guess? So like you're talking concept? about, like, you have a melody that you're really used to listening to, and then they start changing the chords underneath it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, oh, there's that well, melody, but it sounds different. It's super cool. Or even
1: just like a slight adjustment of the melody, where it's just familiar enough that you're like, I but puts you to- in a total there. different mindset. I see what you're doing there. Or like, yes, this is clearly in the same family. And it was kind of my first kind of musical awakening of like, oh, there's a way that you can change a melody so that it's different, but it feels really, really familiar. Wow, that's it's, cool. It's giving you feels. So many That feels. was your first
2: musical feels moment?
1: Um, no, it might have been, it, it had to have been, um, um, I, I, I bet, I bet you my first actual musical feels moment was probably the key change in Living on a Prayer. Probably. God. You're, ugh. I'm a sucker for a key change. Mine
2: was Under the Sea, Little Mermaid. Oh, th- oh, well. I re it and watched that, like... Forty times. The first time I saw that movie, <laughs> I rewound it and watched it over and over again.
1: You and Lin Manuel Miranda. I can't say his name. There is a reason his son is his son is named Sebastian, by the way. Oh God, that's literally the reason. That's pretty amazing. By the by,
2: okay, no more Hamilton talk.
1: Aw, shut up, Ryan. Okay, um, these games are exclusive to the North also American lo- NES. Also, I love Hamilton. Okay, but still. Aw, Bubble Bobble.
2: <laughs> I love Bubble Bobble. I <laughs> played it on the arcade though. I never played it on a yeah. console.
1: Castlevania two, Simon's Quest. I think that one was like better. Uh, Donkey Kong Jr., Final Fantasy OG, Kid Icarus, Punch Out. See, featuring Mr. Dream, not the Mike Tyson right. one.
2: So uh, the, the I listened to another podcast called The Giant Bombcast, and it's all about video games, and they were talking about this, and they they told they told w- why they changed the name from Mike Tyson's Punch Out to Super Punch Out featuring Your Mr. Dream because Mike Tyson started raping people. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that'll do it. He was the
2: most like most amazing athlete in the world for two years, and And and, yeah, ooh. Then you didn't want to be associated with him.
1: Followed by Star Tropics and Tecmo Bowl.
2: Do Tecmo Bowl? Yes, right. A resurgence of Tecmo Bowl.
1: Thank you. In terms of like all over nostalgia, if you don't have access to like an older arcade um, or like an older kind of like mom and pop store where you can get this retro stuff. Um, that is a really, really cool solution. If you want something that's portable, I think that's a really, really cool way to do it. Yeah, like,
2: it'd be so easy to just, like, take that to your hotel room, you know.
1: Yeah, and some people would be like, oh, well, you know, you can play those things in your browser now. The emulators exist. And I'm like, Yeah, but "Ah, the controller, you need a controller, man. It's not the same. Although my complaint is, is that, like, a lot of the games that I played, um, were a little bit on the... Not weirder side. So that
2: was my question. Like, what are you missing off that list?
1: So the games that we have right now that we wouldn't have gotten. um, Just in general, I like just revisiting my past. I might not necessarily have the most fun with it, but um, Anticipation, I thought, was a really cool game. That was super
2: stressful. That was
1: one of the first games I ever played. Probably the first game I ever played was Anticipation. It is a board game in video game form. And it's um, basically kind of a Pictionary, where the game starts drawing a shape, and then as soon as you know it, you have to buzz in and then guess it and type it out, and hopefully you're right.
2: I've never seen that game.
1: Seriously? Seriously. We own it. Oh. <laughs> well, I should.
2: Well, maybe I should hook that shit up and, and look well, at it. Well,
1: I know what we're doing after the show. Um, the other one, which I don't have, but I'm still on the hunt for, is Pinball Quest 1, because I'm a huge pinball nerd.
2: But this isn't, this isn't a pinball game.
1: It's not just a pinball game. Oh. You could play straight pinball on it. That's cool. They have, like, I think, one or two tables where you could just play pinball on the NES if you want to. But uh, but the other mode of it is a pinball RPG.
2: Ooh. So what does this look like?
1: Basically, you're looking at the board from top down. Um, but there are, like, enemies on the pinball thing and then you shoot you shoot you are playing pinball and then the pinball hits the enemies and goes away and there's a storyline to it oh god you move from basically quote unquote like board to board but it's advancing a story along the way
2: that's pretty glorious
1: i love that game
2: oh uh, so okay the the one game that was missing off off the list that you read me that like made me furious that it wasn't there was contra
1: Really? Hold on. i got to check that list again. Are you serious? That kind
2: of makes me mad. That was maybe my favorite NES game. Particularly, uh, we'll get into something else in a a minute. But I've played that game probably more times than any... I've played that game to completion probably more times than any other video game.
1: I love... How, like, I start Googling Contra NES Classic. The first thing that comes up is seven classic games we wish Nintendo included on its NES Classic Edition console. I'm sure
2: there's issues like licensing, because that's uh, a Konami game. Um, So I'm sure sure there's reasons. Oh, that's
1: the other thing. that It could either be licensing or it could be, like, degree of violence, potentially.
2: Oh, because Nintendo is still selling to the younger market in this one.
1: RC Pro-Am, Double Oh, dribble. that was one of my other favorites. Really RC like Pro-Am that game, was amazing.
2: Awesome. Oh.
1: And Duck Hunt. But but Duck Hunt, then you introduced the extra peripheral. Well,
2: yeah, but Duck Hunt does not work on a non-CRT television.
1: That's right.
2: Yes. Because we learned that the hard way because we have the gun. We have the NES hooked up to the LED TV, LCD, whatever flat TV we have. Yeah. And it does not work at all.
1: Yeah. We've tried. doesn't yeah. work.
2: So... Anyway, Contra. But the the bigger issue I have, the only other real issue I have uh, with this little NES classic thing is there's no way to jam a Game Genie into that bitch. Yo,
1: <laughs> that was Ho-ho! I say I beat
2: Contra probably more than any other video game mm. because I had the Game Genie hooked up to it.
1: Up, up, down, down, left, right, A, B, A, start.
2: Like you, that, I, you
1: didn't even need the Game Genie for that.
2: Oh, I had the book. We still have the book here, don't we? We yeah, own we do. a Game Genie. Yeah. So
1: we own a Game Genie. Okay, we own a Game Genie. Because sometimes the cartridge doesn't work by itself, but sometimes when it's plugged into a game genie, sometimes that works.
2: So that's your excuse.
1: Sure. And if it's
2: plugged in, you might as well enter a few codes on the first screen, right? So, so.
1: Ryan is my bestest friend in the whole wide world. Um, He probably remembers this, and he's going to listen to the episode and go, what? I had a CRT TV in my bedroom, and there was one time where the only way that I could get... Um the NES to work in my room was to have the Game Genie plugged in and I played uh I think it was I think him and I tried to do like a joint playthrough of like Super Mario 3 together but I think the way that the Game Genie worked was maybe we couldn't take it was like we couldn't take damage or something but there was we I basically made it impossible for me to be able to save our progress Nice. So the only way was to leave the NES running and just turn the TV off when Ooh. we wanted to stop playing.
2: That's how I beat Zelda. Because I, I could never take damage, so you couldn't save, continue, Um, so you just had to leave it on. Yeah. That's how
1: I did my Zelda run through, too. Yeah, that's, that's,
2: <laughs> that's, how, that's how lazy millennials these days play Zelda.
1: See? And you don't have you any don't of know. that
2: joy with the new Nintendo NES Classic. No. But there is a lot of joy to be had.
1: There is a lot of joy to be had. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't have access to, you know, to be able to purchase all these games, you know, try to hunt down. Like, like think about this. You know, you're like, hey, I'm feeling nostalgic. Or do I, A, try to get a 30-year-old console that may or may not work, plus a bunch of games and try to hunt all those down? Or... Try to get an NES classic, which, which by is the way, proving to be just as impossible. This is
2: the next Tickle Me Elmo, it looks like.
1: We are not dating ourselves with that reference.
2: No, not at all.
1: Nope. <laughs> no.
2: So Nintendo just screwed up and didn't make enough, or you think they're just... Uh,
1: I don't know what their deal is. They do that with every console release.
2: They just limit supply to uh, uh, to show a, a forced demand. I mean, I there's high demand for it because people love nostalgia.
1: I was in my, I work, I work for a video game developer. We were in the office the, like, the moment that the console dropped on Amazon. And I was literally playing Eye of the Tiger on my phone for my friend and, like, getting, like, super, like, Burgess Meredith on this guy and, like, cheering him on as he, like, refreshed the Amazon page with abandon. And could not get it to work. Because everybody and their mother had it. I think it sold out in less than 10 minutes on Amazon. Wow. Less than 10 minutes. Um, and, you know, ke- kept running into site issues. Later on, I think later this week, it was on Wednesday, another coworker of mine said, Well, Walmart, the Walmart site, I don't know how often they're doing this, but I think they're doing this relatively frequently. Hopefully until the holidays. Because gosh that would suck if they didn't um but like at you know 4 p.m our time they were gonna have some stock on the oh on God. the walmart website so he hauled ass out of a meeting so he could be at his computer when that happened and gone gone
2: you know if walmart runs ads on its website they could just say hey periodically we're going to um up be updating our nes classic stock so Come back and check the website every once in a while. I bet they would just get a billion hits and a billion dollars in ad revenue just from their site from doing that.
1: Can't knock that hustle. Yeah, right. Do it, Walmart. Whew. But yeah, like it, it's it's kind of annoying how limited they are. I forget who it was that brought it up. I think it was it was a, a journalist somewhere that said they shouldn't have gone the. This is a brand new console, so we're going to release it in a limited amount of time. Um, you know, at these very specific kind of like game-heavy places, this should have been one of those things that they would have at an end cap at, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond or but exactly, you know, QVC. Like, like just have it w- super widely available. Um, they didn't even take pre-orders for it.
2: Well, that's kind of noble of them, though. I don't like the idea of handing over your money early for some things.
1: Well, maybe for that. Think of it as like a layaway plan. It's not like that's
2: true. Hardware, hardware is more limited than software. Like I don't, yeah. I don't like pre-ordering games anymore. But um,
1: yeah, I, f- I mean, I feel like at the very least, you're like, okay, this is a little thing that plays games. That if you want to know what you're getting, you can very easily, you know, watch full gameplay. Videos on YouTube or Twitch, like you know exactly what it is that you're getting. Exactly. More likely than not,
2: you've played these games before, so you're excited about them. So I feel
1: like you could still pre order it and be totally cool But they didn't
2: take pre orders and quantity is limited. And if you get one under the tree this year, you're a very lucky person.
1: Yep. Consider yourself very lucky and also consider yourself to be lucky to I don't know. you know, we, we we talk about video games as a sort of like super iconic medium. You know, yeah, we can relate it back to music, but, like...
2: There's music in those games.
1: There's music in those games, and that music is iconic. And think about, they, they didn't have a lot to work with. It's not like video games nowadays Chip where you can... It's you know. It's not, it's not like video games nowadays where you can... Where I've literally seen video game soundtracks being recorded with a full orchestra at Abbey Road Studios.
2: Right, and winning Grammys and shit.
1: And winning Grammys and stuff. No, you know, these are people that did not have a lot to work with necessarily in terms of bits and bytes and all that jazz. But then they they created these these iconic melodies that have lived with us for over three decades. Exactly. So if anything, get it for that. If you can get, get it for it. that
2: and find out why that music is so iconic, then write some iconic music of your own. Da-da,
1: da-da, da-da. And also just play some games.
2: Yeah, go play some games. Go play and listen some games. to some music.
1: Go li- play some games. Listen to some music. Write some music. Stream it on Twitch.
2: And then get your lawyer, Cassandra Spangler, to, to make sure that you're not doing it wrong.
1: Ta-da.
2: Ryan, we did it!
1: Ryan, we did it! I hope we made you proud. Um, thank you so much for enduring us for however long this episode takes. Um, Ryan and Dave should be back soon, I hope. <laughs> um, we have been, Alisa. I'm Evan. And uh, thanks to Cassandra Spangler for joining the show this week. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan and Dave, and probably us in listener form, we'll see you next week.